theyeshiva.net. Sometimes we don't realize what's contained in one word of the Torah. And an example for this is one posik, one verse in this week's parsha, parsha's Bahar. If you'll open your source sheets, it's the first source. Vayikra Perik Chafhe Pasik Lamad He. That's Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. The Torah says, If your brother becomes destitute, poverty stricken, and his hand falters, he loses, so to speak, a grip on life a grip on his or her finances. His hand falters, becomes weak. Imach, with you. You should hold on to this person, meaning you should strengthen this person, like the word chizuk, you know, to strengthen somebody, which is really lachzik, to hold on to somebody. Hold on to them, support them. Geir v'soyshav, this applies whether the person is a convert, whether the person is a resident. The objective is that this person should be able to live with you. Make sure that this person has the life, the support, they should be able to live. As Rashi explains beautifully from the Medrash, from the Torah's Kayanim, what the word boy means, literally hold on, hold on to him. That's what the word lachzik, like chazaka, muchzak, something is held on. What does it mean hold on? So Rashi gives, from chazal, they give a metaphor that if a donkey has a burden and the burden is about to fall off the donkey, so then one person, even not the strongest person, could come and hold on to the package, hold on to the load, and it doesn't fall off. But once the load falls off, and it's very heavy, sometimes you need five people, or maybe even more, to be able to lift it up. As long as it didn't fall, I could just grab onto it. And that's not so difficult. Once it fell, it's already a whole different avoid. So Rashi says, that's what the Pesach means, hold on before he falls. Hold on before he completely falters and loses it. He's already losing his grip, he's about to fall financially. Hold on so that the person shouldn't fall. And this is the source for the famous statement in the Rambam. The Rambam says that there are eight levels in tzedakah, eight levels in charity, one above the other. And the highest level is the v'achzaktabai. Not that the person is poor and now I have to support them because they don't have anything. But rather, I hold on to them that they shouldn't fall. person is struggling. So I help them consolidate their revenues, uh, repair the leaks in their, uh, in their business, in their company, invest money with them, uh, give them an opportunity to find a job, train them for a trade. In other words, allowing a person to be able to have the means to be able to continue the journey of life independently without becoming a burden to other people because this is the, high, because this is the meaning of the hechzaktabai. You hold on before the person falls. The Rambam says that's the highest level of tzedakah. Ein l'mayla himena. Rambam Hilchas Matnas Anim, chapter 10. Ein l'mayla, there's nothing higher than this. Then there's another seven levels of tzedakah. The next level is where somebody is poor, and I give them money, but I don't know who I'm giving to. 
and they don't know who they're getting from, so their dignity is preserved. And then there's lower levels, lower levels where I don't know who I'm giving to, they know who they're getting from, or they don't know who they're getting from, but I know who I'm giving to. Or we both know who's giving and who's receiving, thank you. And then there's giving as much as they need, giving less than they need, giving with a happy face, giving with a sour face, eight levels of tzedakah. But this is the highest level, v'echzakta, hold on. But you see one word that seems superfluous. Which word in this Pasuk seems a little uh, strange? Anybody? Yeah. The word imach, huh? Well, his hand falters, I understand. His grip of life falters. So, you should hold on. You should support this person. But he says, imach, with you. What does it mean? What, his hand falters with you? Obviously not. Because if his hand falters with me, then I won't be able to help. Then I'm the one who needs the help, right? <laughs> so uh, what he's saying here is, something is with you. He is with you. It says your brother. It's obviously your brother. Brother here doesn't mean only your biological brother. Brother here is referring to every member of the Jewish people who is defined as a brother and a sister. In fact, in all the laws of Parshas Bahar that deal with helping poor people, the Torah uses the word achicha, Ten times. And this is a psychological shift. Because when I look at somebody else as my brother or my sister rather than a stranger, the attitude is different. I could say, so the burden is falling over the donkey. It's my problem. It's my donkey. It's my burden. It's my brother's donkey. It's my brother's burden. So it already explains that there is a kinship. There is, there is a family connection. There is a relationship. And therefore there is a responsibility. Call Yisrael HaRevim but what's the idea? Mata yada, his hand falters. Imach with you. Mata yada, his hand falters. This word imach, though, contains one of the profound messages that the Torah is intimating here. And in order to appreciate this, let's learn the medrash on this verse. And the medrash is really addressing the meaning of this word imach, even though he doesn't say it explicitly. This is Vayikra Rabbah, Perik Lamed Dalet, Parsha Dalet. Medrash is called Medrash Rabbah, and it's chapter 34, section 4. Kiyamu Chachich, when your brother becomes poor, says the Medrash, Haduhu Dichsiv. This is consistent with what the Pasuk says in Mishlei. Proverbs chapter 29, Mishlei Chavtes. Rosh that's the expression. When a poor person, Rush is a poor person, and Ish Techachim, and a person who has plans, has a strategy, meet, God lights up both of their eyes. A little earlier in Mishlei, the Pasuk says, When a wealthy person and a poor person meet, God makes them all. What does this mean? Says the Medrash, Rosh Zahu Rosh Batayra. A poor person may be somebody who's poor, not necessarily in finances, but poor in Torah, poor in direction, in wisdom, in enlightenment, in truth, in moral clarity, in Torah. The person who has Toichin, who has depth, is somebody who learns. Maybe he learned one seder, which is a whole section of Mishnayas. There's shas, shishas darim, because the shas is, dedica- is, is 
divided into six sections. Zeroyim, Moyed, Noshim, Nezikin, Kachim, and Tyrus, Zman, Nokat. So he learned one whole section or two. The poor person who has ignorance, who's ignorant, turns to the person who learned and says, could you teach me one chapter? And he teaches him. On this, the first passage says, Hashem illuminates both of their eyes. It's not just the recipient whose eyes are brightened, but also the one who gives who used his or her resources to teach, to mentor, to guide, this person's eyes is also filled with light. Hashem lights up. Hashem illuminates. He casts light on both of their eyes. They both acquire this world and the next world. What happens if similar scenario, the person wealthy in wisdom meets the person poor in wisdom. And when we say here rich in wisdom, it doesn't necessarily mean information. person may have more information, less it could mean that too. But it also means somebody in one area is struggling, they don't have the wisdom, they don't have the perspective, they don't have a way out. And somebody else can help them. They have the guidance. They may have the empathy or the compassion or the love or the perspective that can help the person. One is wealthy and the other one poor. Again, the same scenario. Please teach me, guide me. But instead of responding in the positive, he refuses. No. He says, Why should I waste my time? This is not an Aramaic. Why should I waste my time teaching you what you don't know when I already know it? I should teach you the chapter that begins with Mashkin, that's tractate Mayat Katan, or the chapter that begins Me'emasai, that's chapter Brachas. It's interesting, he hops on these two Mesechtas, first Mayat Katan, then Brachas. I already know it. We already said that this person learned two Sdarim. I already know Zrayim and Mayat. I already know um, these chapters. Go find somebody on your level and learn together with him. Why should I take from my precious time to teach you what I know? So then you have the other verse. Oisei Kulam Hashem. God makes them all, meaning, the same one who made this person a chachem can also turn him into a tipish, can turn him into a fool. And the one who he made a fool, he can turn him into a chachem. In the first case, where I share, I give, so then both of our eyes are illuminated. Both people grow. In the second case, where I say, why should I share it with you? It's not just, I lost the opportunity to give to somebody else. He says, no, then it could be transformed even. The chacham could become the tippish, and the tippish, the fool, the one who was missing, the ignorant one, I should say, the ignorant one is more appropriate, more accurate translation, could become the wise person. Another meaning. There's poverty in wisdom, there's poverty in Torah, there's poverty in finance. Somebody's poor in terms of assets. Ishtachim is somebody who has a job. He's involved in work. The poor person speaks to the person who has means. And he says, Tenli mitzvah, give me a mitzvah. This is interesting because whenever it says the word mitzvah, which mitzvah is it referring to? Charity, tzedakah. In Talmud Yerushalmi and in Medrash, when it says the word mitzvah, it means the mitzvah of tzedakah. 
That's a very fascinating thing. That's considered the quintessential mitzvah. When you say mitzvah, it means tzedakah. So it says, tenli mitzvah, what do you mean give me a mitzvah? It means give me tzedakah. Tzedakah is called a mitzvah. Tenli mitzvah. Give me tzedakah. V'nasan And the person gives him. Gives him tzedakah. Meir e'nei shneim Hashem. Again, Hashem lights up both of their eyes. Zekana chayesha, v'zekana chayelam haba. One person acquires temporary life because he has the money to support himself and the other one acquires Elam Haba because he did the mitzvah of tzedakah. Elam Haza, he has already Baruch Hashem. He has means. But now he gets also Elam Haba. In parentheses, there's a beautiful story they tell about the Chayza of Lublin, the Seer of Lublin. That once there was somebody who was very, very poor and he had a large family but he also had a very stressful situation because he had a few daughters who were maritable age. And they had the people, but Iposha did not have even a ruble, not only not to give her for the wedding, for her clothes, for jewelry, for a new house, for the chassan, but even basics day to day, he simply didn't have, never mind to make a chassana, to begin her life, to give some naden. He had nothing. So he went to the chayza of Lublin, to the seer of Lublin in Poland, and he asked him for an aid, so what should I do? So he gave him, he gave him five ruble, Five ruble would be, you know, ruble, the, the currency at the time. Still the currency in Russia. I don't know what it's worth today. <laughs> Not much. Credit to Putin. And uh, he says, take this. And the ershta esek, the ershta mischar, the first business you can do, do. Here's five ruble. Any first opportunity for a financial transaction, just jump on it. Seize the moment. Okay. <laughs> Somebody giving you $5, $10, say the first business you can do with this do. First investment you can make, make. Where does he go? He doesn't know. So he starts traveling back home. He doesn't know where to go. On the way home, there was a journey. So he stopped in what they used to call a kretschma. You know what a kretschma is? Kretschma is like an inn. We call it like a Motel 6 type of thing. Eastern Europe was filled, dotted with kretschmas, with inns that were often owned by Jews that the pritzim, the overlords, would call them moshkes. They called them all moshkes, like moshkes. That was the Jewish name in Poland. They would call them moshkes. And they often ran these inns, and they served for two purposes. One is there was like a little bed and breakfast, and a bar, so people would come drink, people would come eat. And it was like a motel. People could stay over the night. It was a very common, common reality for, for, for travelers in Eastern Europe. So he stops at an inn at a kretschma. And... Uh, he eats something, and he's about to go to bed. And uh, there's a group of Jews that come together to drink. And they were what you might call, uh, they were known at that time, they would call them the Maskilim, the enlightened ones, so to speak. They were a little more lightheaded, and they became very, very tipsy. And they were having a good time, they were playing cards, they were playing poker. It was a very frivolous, frivolous ambiance. Anyway, they see this Chassidish uh, Jew, this Hasidic Jew sitting himself. So one person wants to, uh, you know, make fun a little bit. So he calls him over and he says, do you want to do some business with me? Uh-oh. He says, what type of business? He says, would you like to buy my Olam Haba? You want to buy my Elam Haba, my portion of the world to come? This Jew is thinking to himself, I have nothing better to do than buy this guy's Elam Haba. But he remembered the first business opportunity. 
He said, absolutely. Absolutely, Abayi Lamaba. He says, how much do you have? He says, I have five ruble. <laughs> he says, granted. Granted. He laughs to the people. He says, Ilam Haba, who even believes in Ilam Haba? Just five ruble, making a fast five ruble, why not? He takes the five ruble, he signs a contract. I'm giving this Jew, Ploini Ben Ploini, whatever his name is, my Ilam Haba. He laughs, his friends laugh, he has another drink. The Jew now lost his five ruble for this person's Ilam Haba, and he goes to retire. Okay, this fellow finishes drinking, he comes home. <laughs> His wife greets a husband who's somewhat tipsy, and he shares with her what happened. So she says, you're crazy? You sell your eternity for five ruble? You sell Olam Haba? Never. You go back, you go back and get it back. She goes back. He tells the Jew, I want back my Olam Haba. Here's your five ruble. Jew says, no. Sorry. Sorry. He says, how much do you want? He says, I need 5,000 ruble to marry off two daughters. <laughs> if you give me 5,000 ruble, I'll give it. He says, you're crazy, you're crazy. No way. He says, fine. Goes back home, tells his wife what happened. His wife says, I don't care. You don't come into this house without your Elam Haba. I'm not living with a husband who has no Elam Haba. You go back and get it. He says, the guy wants $5,000. Negotiate with him. He goes back. He negotiates. The guy is not budging. Business is business. Goes back. His wife says, you want a divorce? That's fine. Divorce me. We're not living together until you get back your Elam Haba. He had no choice. <laughs> a divorce he didn't want. He took out 5,000 ruble. He gave it to the Jew. The Jew tore up the contract. Here's your Elam Haba. Shite. Now that he has 5,000 ruble, Baruch Hashem, Gewaldik, all is good. But he has to go home to the Chayzah, he has to go to the Chayzah to thank him. You have to say thank you, you don't just leave. So he goes back to Lublin, he goes into the sea of Lublin, and he tells him what happened. He tells him what happened. So the Chayzah says, I want you to know something. The truth is, you see, it's interesting. He sold his Olam Haba for how much? Five ruble. He bought it back for how much? 5,000 ruble. He said, it's not dishonest. When he sold his Olam Haba, it was taka worth, kam five ruble. That's what it was worth. But now, it's worth much more than 5,000 ruble. So that's what the Medrash is saying. That's if he gives him. Next. What if happens? The same scenario. He says, give me tzedakah. He says, no. On this he says, God made them both. Just like in the previous scenario. He made them both. He made the chachim. He made the tipish. He gave the person wisdom. And he didn't give a person wisdom. He made them both. The one who was poor can become wealthy. The one who was wealthy can become poor. If the wealthy person tells to the poor person, Why don't you go work and eat? Go work for a living. Why should I support you? Look at your thighs. You have big thighs. You're a strong kid. Go work. Look at your legs. You can work. You can walk. You can run. Look at your stomach. 
Baruch Hashem. You have some muscle in your stomach. Chamei Kufron. Look at your flesh. Go work. Not only did you not give him anything, even what I gave him. You have to talk about his thighs and his stomach and his flesh and his power and, and uh, his work. Even what I gave him, you have to put in an iron rough against nisht. You have to start giving him all this musr and therefore he could lose his wealth. So the Medrash on this Pasuk is basically introducing two Psukim for Mishle. One, both of them speak about a poor person who meets a wealthy person. One scenario, both of their eyes are lit up. Meir Hashem. And in one scenario, it says, Hashem made them both, and therefore things can shift around. And the Medrash gives two separate scenarios. One is wealth and wisdom and perspective and Torah and morality and spiritual guidance. And the other one is wealth and money and two opposite attitudes. One is, I want to share and I share. And the other one, he says, no, go find somebody else. I don't have time or I don't have the resources to share. This is the Medrash. How does this answer the word imach? And what's the Medrash trying to bring out from this besides an explanation in Tupsukim and Mishle? So let's see a teaching of the Svasemes. The Svasemes, Rabbi Huda Yuleib Alter, who was the third Rebbe in the dynasty of Ger, a grandson of the Chidush Harim, Rabbi Shemeyah, the first Ger Rebbe, and then there was the Rabbi Henech of Alexander who succeeded, and then the third one was the Svasemes, the grandson of the Chidush Harim, passed away in 1905. So Svasemes Parshas Bahar Tofresh Emalov, which would be 1881. The Medrash, she quotes here the Medrash very briefly. As the Medrash says, this is, refers both to somebody wealth in, wealthy in money and wealthy in wisdom. And he begins. When the Torah says, you should support this person. You should hold on to this person. You should strengthen this person. It indicates that the person has the power to support the other person. If I wouldn't have the ability to support the other person, you can't say support them, hold on to them. I don't have the resources. Obviously, he's saying you have the capacity to hold on to his hand, his hand which lost its grip. His hand which is faltering, you have the power to hold on to his hand. Vachay imach. And therefore imach, so that he could live with you. So the word imach we see in this Pasuk says twice. Umata yadai imach. imach. He could live with you. Why? Because the point of life could extend with no limits. A person might say, how can I support this other person? I have to worry about myself. He says the point of life, the core of life, can extend. It doesn't have limits, as he will explain. Hashem provides. He's mashpia. There's a flow every single day to the klal habriya to the whole creation, to all of existence, to the entire universe, to the entire planet. All of the needs, both benefesh, the needs of the soul and the needs of the body. That's why when we bench, how do we start off the grace after meals, right in the beginning? 
Es ha'olam kuloi betuvoi, b'chein, b'chesed, b'rachemim, hu noisen lechem l'chol basar, ki li'olam chazda. So what are the words we say? Blessed are you, Hashem, who nourishes, zan means who nourishes, who feeds, who nurtures, the entire world. Es ha'olam kuloi. Bechain with grace, bechesed with benevolence, berachman with compassion, giving bread to every flesh, kileolam chazde, for his kindness is everlasting. So he says, We speak about the whole world. And here he's addressing obviously a question. Why am I talking about the fact that he's feeding the whole world? It's a beautiful thing. But I just ate. <laughs> Not everybody eats when I eat. <laughs> right? Some people are sleeping, some people are up, but they're not necessarily eating. So you could say, Thank you for providing the food that just nourished me or nurtured me. No, we don't talk about me. We talk about right away. He's also addressing another question, an even more fundamental question. Somebody once asked this to me a number of years ago. I was teaching some secular students from university, Jewish students. So they ate lunch, and then there was the benching, you know, like they do in camp. So this person was reading it in English translation. It's one of the advantages when you read things in English, you actually know what they mean. So you sometimes ask good questions, right? People read the original Hebrew, they don't know what it means, they don't have any questions. When you know what something means, you can have a question. And he says to me, Rabbi Jacobson, you don't know about how many people are suffering from malnutrition in Africa? Do you know how many people die from starvation and famine every year? Do you know how many children don't have the food that they need in certain parts of the world? How could you make such a statement which seems completely false? The whole world, really, the whole world is zon. You just had a meal, Baruch Hashem. How do you say such a thing? How did they put this in the blessing? He says it's simply not true. Interesting question. I never thought of that when I benched. I benched. He says, look at the words. We're the whole world. So not only is the question. So it's two questions. First of all, why are we talking about the whole world? I just ate. The whole world didn't eat. <laughs> Especially the whole world eats at different times. Some people eat more. Some people eat less. Some people fast, etc. So why are we talking about the whole world? The whole world didn't just have a meal. I had a meal. We had a meal. We could talk about ourselves, our group. But besides the fact, there's even a more fundamental question. Is it even true? Hazan, part of the world, a big part of the world. Now we have to say that in our times, 2022, things have advanced radically in this area. In ancient times, a person woke up in the morning... And there was a practical concern that they may die that day or that week or that month or that year from three things. Famine, infectious diseases, or violence. We say in the Avinu Malkeinu, Avinu Malkeinu, Kale, Dever, Vecherev, Virov, Ushvi, Umashchis, Mibnevri, Secha. These were not theoretical concerns. These were very real concerns. Today we have to say that mo- not everybody... But in most of the world, people wake up in the morning and they're not afraid that this might be their last day because of hunger 
or because of violence, or because of infectious disease. Of course, there are all cases, and we're coming off of corona, we know that. But you can't compare it to the way it was in the olden days. This is not chas v'shalom to underestimate people's losses and the tragedies of violence or of infectious disease. But the fact remains that in the last few years, and the doctor will confirm it, the last few years, more people are dying from Coca-Cola than from starvation. For the first time in history, more people are dying from obesity than from starvation. That's an incredible, that's an incredible uh, reality, incredible. For thousands of years, most pe- people died from starvation, not from overeating. There was, you couldn't overeat even if you wanted to. Today, at least in certain parts of the world, <laughs> one can overeat. So true, there was a lot of advancement, but still, especially the Nusach, is more than 3,000 years old. The Gemara says in Brachas that Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who made the text of this blessing for the man. The first blessing was made by Moshe Rabbeinu, the second one by Yeshua. So you're talking about an ancient blessing that goes back thousands of years. It's not a blessing for the last 100 years or last 50 years. What's Pshat HaZonah Sa'olam Kuli So the Sfasemis here gives a magnificent interpretation. And he says every day, and this is why we say it by benching. Hazana Sa'olam Kuli means Hashem provides the whole klal, the klal of the Bria. He provides them with the resources that are needed to be able to feed everybody's soul and everybody's body. But there's a condition. What's the condition? But the recipients need to cooperate. They need to work together. They need to unite with each other. Cooperate is two words, right? Cooperate. We have to operate in communion, in actus, in unity. And to be able to provide to each other for me to give to you and you to give to me. Because everybody has something. In a complete, holistic, integrated oneness. And then the world is not missing anything. The Sfasemis is saying, we're not saying in the bracha that people are not starving. We're not saying that the food reaches every single child. Unfortunately, it doesn't. There are governments that are corrupt, there are systems that are absolutely failing their people, there are people on the top or whatever at whatever rank in politics or in power that create different situations and as a result of that people are missing what they need. But when I'm thanking Hashem for the food after I eat, I'm not just thanking that there was food on the table or that I went to the pantry or I went to the store or I even grew my own heart, my own grain, or my own legumes, or my own vegetables, or my own fruits, and I harvested it. And I extracted the wheat kernels, and I ground it into flour, and I kneaded it, and then I baked it, and I have my lechem, I have my bread. Which is a gewaldic thing to be thankful for. I'm thanking for something much deeper. I'm thanking for hazon esha'olam kuloi I'm thanking for the fact that there is a food chain, there is a food web, there is an ecosystem with a perfect balance that the whole Bria is given the resources it needs every single day by the creator of the world. How many things have to go right just for the cosmos to exist? How many things have to go right just for the planet to survive? Never mind to have a planet that supports life. 
statistically, the amount of things that can go wrong at any point that will deprive planet from life are astronomical. And yet, every single day, every single moment, he provides the Bria with the resources, the nutrients, the potentiality that everybody should be able to be fed. But there's a condition. The condition is that we have to realize that we're part of one unit. We're part of one universe. We're part of one planet. I have something to give you, you have something to give me. The resources are there. But what if I hold the resources for myself and I don't share? You hold your resources for yourself I don't share? Then indeed, we end up missing things. That's the way the Zon comes to the world. It comes to the whole world, to the Klalabriya. Some things I have, some things you have, some things she has, some things he has. And then together, when we work together like a jigsaw puzzle, like a symphony, we integrate it and we all realize this. Then there is shefa, there's a flow for the whole world. For this, people have to transcend the instinct of narcissism, of selfishness, of self-centeredness, and realize that the way this zon happens is to kala oilam kuloi. That's why we say as ha'olam kuloi daika. And that's the answer to both questions. That's why we talk about it. Because I, I don't only thank for my own food. I also thank for your food. Are you not eating? But part of your food is by me. Physical food, financial food, emotional food, spiritual food. And part of my food is by you. And every single part of creation has some resource that we all need. As he's going to explain. And therefore... I want to thank for the whole world. And this answers also, how do we say as on asylum kuli when there are those who don't get food? It's not that the earth doesn't have the resources to give everybody food. It's that we often don't actualize our potential and our calling to be able to think about others and to be able to provide every person with what they need. V'kivon sheyamu chachicha since my brother is destitute, umato yadoi, and his hand, his arm, his hand is faltering, imach. So the Pasuk says imach. What's imach? This means that what he or she needs is with you. This means that the help for this person is by you. Since this person's hand is faltering, and Hazana Sa'ilam Kulay, where is the help for this person? I have to realize if his hand is faltering, Imach, that resource, that energy, that wisdom, that depth, that integrity, that love, that compassion, those finances are Imacha with you. I may say, I don't have the capacity, I could barely worry about myself. I have the ability to give you as well. Al Zenamar. This, the Medrash, brings the Pasuk from Mishlei, chapter 29. Both of their eyes get illuminated. When I connect with you, I'm also blessed. It's not only the taker who's blessed. The giver also finds new resources that he or she didn't have before. They themselves grow. They themselves open up new channels in their life when they give. It's also true in the opposite. When it comes to the rebuking, the Pasuk says in Kedoshim, You should rebuke, you should challenge your friend. Meaning I have a responsibility to help somebody else, help them positively. And if also somebody maybe 
engaged in something destructive, to talk to them about it, to share it with them. But the Pasuk continues, Don't bear a sin because of him. What's the connection? means you should be my chiyach. You should show the right path to somebody. You should talk to them. Chayach means to rebuke, to share, to invoke, to explain, to enlighten somebody else. But don't bear on this person a sin. What's the connection? So he says, Pirush, it means as follows. If a person says, you know what? It's none of my business. What do I have with you? I'm not going to talk with you about it, to you about it. Then I have a part in the other person's mistake. Why? If I'm in a situation where I can help somebody, if I'm in a situation where I see something happening and I could say something, I could share something that will help. This means my friend needs me to say it. This part of his life is by me. He needs it. His help is in my head. His help is in my heart. So if I can't help, I can't. But if there's something I can share to help this person, that person's help is by me. And he says, when I'm preventing that goodness from the person, so he says, So then I'm not doing part of my mission because part of my mission is that I have something for you just like you have something for me. And he explains. Shekach bara Hashem This is part of the fabric of creation. Hashem created the world. That one person should receive help from another person. And everybody needs somebody else. So that everybody can understand that everything is from Hashem. Never will you find all of perfection in the hands, in the domain of one person. That does not exist. So that everybody understands, he says, that everything is from Hashem. What is, what is this Fasem is teaching here? He's saying inherent to the fabric of creation is that nobody is self-contained. It's not only true about people. It's also true about nature. And it's one of the most incredible, incredible phenomena in nature that there's nothing, the Gemara says, There's nothing in the laws of nature and in nature that doesn't, receive and doesn't contribute something to life on the planet. You sometimes see a worm, a worm in the ground, and most people would look at it, it seems insignificant. It's not. That worm, to- that worm moving around in the earth is toiling the earth. It's actually plowing the earth. It's allowing the earth to become fertile so that life could continue on our planet. They used to wonder about the purpose of lightning. Lightning. Today we know one of the purposes of lightning is that there is nitrogen in the air. And we need nitrogen in order to create, produce amino acids without which you can't have a cell that's alive. Cell needs amino acid. But how do we get that nitrogen? And it's the lightning that allows the nitrogen in the air to merge with the oxygen 
that comes down through the droplets of rain and then gets absorbed in the soil so that when we eat plants or anything that grows or an animal that eats plants, we get those, those components of the nitrogen that allows every person to live. You know, you look at the clouds. We look at a cloud. We take clouds for granted. But you never take clouds for granted. Because the sun acts as an incredible pump. And it draws up the vapor, the mist of the oceans. And the clouds that are formed from that water, when they're too heavy, they bring down the water. However... If the clouds would remain where they are and the water would come right back, what would happen? The water would come from the oceans and go right back into the ocean and all of the planet would remain desolate, barren and fertile. But because there are winds, so the winds scatter the clouds. So now the rain that's in the ocean gets deposited all over, over many parts of the earth. So there's vegetation, there's growth, there's produce, so we can all live. You know, you look at a wind, it's a wind. It's not a wind. It's an essential component of the whole Bria. There's not a droplet of rain, a flake of snow. You know, it's, it's a snow the kids have off school. Not just the kids have off school. The snow acts as a blanket that protects earth during the winter. And the same is true with every single phenomenon in nature. In the oceans and in the beaches, the lakes, the streams and the canals. Sometimes we know that some, we bec- each year we become more aware of how each prat, each nuance in the Bria is an indispensable component of the entire cosmos. The Baal Shem Tev once said that even when a leaf turns, falls off a tree and it turns over on the ground, not only is it by divine providence how many times it turns over, where it lands, where it ends up, but not only that, he said... It's indispensable to the machshava Dumadadam kadman, meaning it's part of the entire plan of the cosmos. And other, it's not just it's a detail that had a plan. It's part of the big picture. They, they tell a story. I think Yom Teverlech has a nice song. You know the song. His students were walking with him, and the Balshemtu was talking about this, and they said, "What about this leaf?" And the Balshemtu said, "Why don't you pick it up and you'll see." And there was a worm under the leaf. And he said the worm was, was scorched in the sun. And the worm was praying, so to speak, to protect it. So this leaf came and provided the warmth for this, the warmth for this little worm. It's like in a ballad. Every note is part of a song. So you have the food chain. You have the food web. You have the ecosystem. And the balance is so delicate and so intricate the behavior of the wild beasts and the behavior of all of the various animals and their interaction with each other. It's always there to guarantee the perfect ecosystem so that life could continue to live according to the Ratzon Hashem. It doesn't mean there's no catastrophes. It doesn't mean that there's no things in the world that, don't, that defy our imagination and our understanding. But it means that when you look at the planet and you study it, you see that it's a perfectly designed system and machine to be able to provide life in order for that the human beings and all of the living organisms on this planet could continue to survive and thrive. Somebody sent me by email an interesting letter that the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote to somebody in 1961, Tavshin Chafalov. 
it's a very long letter. It's, a, it's two or three pages. But I just wanted to read a few paragraphs. It's really interesting. It looks like it was a secular Jew. I don't know who it was. But he writes to this person, he says, Your letter of August 22 reached me with some delay. It's in English. In it you present a fairly clear picture of yourself, your background, education, spiritual vicissitudes, and present state of mind, which you describe in rather dismal, dismal colors. And you conclude with the hope that I may be of some help to you. Permit me then to make an observation which is strikingly evident from the general tenor of your letter and which I believe also holds the clue to the solution. Your whole letter, two and a half closely typewritten pages, it's the days of a typewriter, 1961, is full of your own expectations and disappointments, as if everybody owes you everything, but no one has a claim on you. Yet, this is the paragraph I wanted to emphasize, yet even a brief reflection will clearly reveal that the universe we live in is ordered in a system of give and take. And the personal universe of the individual, the microcosm, must likewise conform to this system of reciprocal relationships. Consequently, when one disrupts or distorts this system, it must necessarily bring about a distortion in one's immediate surroundings and experience in one's inner life. And after some explaining this, he says, But forgive me for being so blunt. Reading your letter, it did not occur to you, judging from your letter, that you might owe something to the society, that you might have obligations to participate in it actively and help to better it by putting to good use some or all of the mental gifts and capacities with which you have been endowed. Heaven knows that our society is far from perfect and that there is much to be done in the way of raising its standards of justice and morality. It's the basic duty of everyone to contribute one's share towards this end. He goes on at length about this point. But the point here is what Sfasemis is saying. I could say, I'm not part of the system. (laughs) But it's not true. Nothing in the universe can exist without somebody giving me. I don't have everything I need. (laughs) How was I born? My parents had to make that decision. How did I survive after I was born? Somebody had to do something. Every food I take in, every piece of food I take into my mouth, somebody else had to do some work. Nobody could live even for one minute in existence. I'm inhaling oxygen. Whose oxygen am I inhaling? I created the oxygen I'm inhaling. I'm walking on the ground. Whose ground am I working on? I'm walking on. I created that ground. I'm wearing clothes. There's 80 trillion cells. 80 trillion cells? 70 trillion cells? A lot, yeah? More than a million. More than 10. In the body working in perfect synchronization. Who's responsible for all those cells? I made those cells. I designed them. It was my back-end program. 100 billion neurons in my brain. I designed them. Every moment I'm receiving and receiving and receiving. So the Rebbe says, beautiful. And you also have to give. You're part of a symphony. There's an intricate, intricate web. And every single person is a mashpia and a makabal. I'm a giver and I'm a taker. What I give 
This you have to know what your resources are. This person has wisdom and this person has money and this person has humor and this person has love and this person has compassion. This person gives of their body, of their mind, of their heart, of their soul, of their time. But that's being part of the universe. And he says when you, interesting words, when you, you know, sometimes when you say it in English it comes out. When one disrupts or distorts this system, it brings out a distortion in one's surroundings and in one's inner mental experiences. The brain has a system. The body has a system. There's an, imagine part of the body says, I'm self-contained. I'm not working with the brain anymore. The heart tells the brain, it's enough. No more tyranny. I'm becoming free. I'm dead. The entire power of life is, there's an achtos. There's a central nervous system. We're all part of a symphony. So that's in my own, in my own organism. And chas v'shalom, when an organism becomes disconnected and certain parts are not responding, we know what that means. It's a serious illness. But there's also what science calls, scientists call a superorganism. You can have a colony of ants, you know, a million ants or 10 million ants or 100 million ants. They call it a superorganism. Why? Because all the ants have to work in synchronization to survive. If one of the ants says, I'm not part of this colony, sorry, nobody can live. You go to a beehive, it's a superorganism. Every bee knows exactly what to do. In the animal kingdom, nobody has a doubt about this. No chimp, no monkey, no lioness, no mosquito, no bee, no ant, no bat, no turtle, no chicken, no mammal, no fish, no bird knows, thinks that it's not part of a system. No tree, no bush, no tree. Everybody knows it's part of a system. And the question is, what am I doing to fulfill my mission in the system? Most bees live for 30 days. Why so short? Because they work 12 hours a day and they're exhausted. After 30 days, they finish their mission in the world next. And it's all to make sure that the beehive continues. The only ones who are not sure about this are people. I wake up in the morning, I'm like, who am I? <laughs> Do I have any role to play? Do I have any mission to play? So he says, you have to realize who you are. We are all dependent on each other, and everybody has something unique that they can give that somebody else can't give. Just like I receive, I give. And this Fasemis says, why? To remember that everything ultimately comes from one source. If I had everything on my own, I could become detached, detached from others and detached from the ultimate source. But I know I need you and you know you need me. Why? Because ultimately we're all one. We all come from one source. Everything is oneness. If I wouldn't need you and you wouldn't need me, we could live fragmented lives. But the ultimate purpose is achdus, ech Hashem echad, the oneness. How does the oneness come out? It comes out in the system we're one, we have to be one. I can't survive without you. I can't thrive without you. You can't thrive without me. It's true about the animal kingdom, about plant life, about inanimate matter, about our planet, about the entire universe, and of course about all of humanity. That's why we say by benching, the nurture the zonas to the entire world, not just to me. It's just the entire world, yes. Now we have to be here for each other to distribute. Because part of your light is by me and part of my light is by you. So the Zonis says, Ha'olam Kulay, and now we have to realize it's one unit. It's, we're all integrated. And we have to think constantly about each other. Not at my expense. On the contrary, this is the only way that I could actually be me. 
Because I'm part of that system without distorting it and without disrupting it. And there's no nekuda in the world that's not a mashpia and a makabal. He continues, in the last paragraph. It says in Prikayavas, the beginning of the fourth chapter, who is a chachem? Who is a wise person? Somebody who learns from every single human being. Why? Every single human being I have to learn from? What if I only learn from 50% of people? Every single person possesses something, a unique wisdom, a unique inspiration, a unique light that nobody else has. So if I'm a chachem, I'm loymid mikaladam. I can say, this person is going to teach me. What is this person going to teach me? I'm older than them, I'm smarter than them, I'm more experienced than them. What does this person know? That means I'm not a chacham. It means I'm a tippish. I'm, bl- I'm closing myself off to the light. Because if every person was created in Hashem's image, as Rabbi Akiva says in Prikayavis chapter 3, chaviv adam shenivra b'tzalem, every person was created in Hashem's image, that means every person has the divine imprint in their psyche. So if I find somebody not inspirational, what does it mean? It means... That my eyes, my vision is blocked. How can I not find somebody inspiration? Even somebody I, find, I meet in the elevator or in the supermarket. Now, I may be in a bad mood. I may be antisocial. I may be stressed out. That's fine. I'm a little bit blocked. But when your heart is open, when you're part of the universe, when you're part of the flow of life, when you're in touch with this symphonic divine energy that vibrates through the cosmos every moment, and there's a singular energy that unites us all. And it, it encompasses the entire world. And now we share with each other. You share with me, I share with me. There's no such a thing I can't learn from every person. There is something in you that I need. There's something in me that you need. And what's the reason for this? The reason is because we're really one. <laughs> Just like in a body, you'll say, why does the heart have something that the brain needs? Because the heart and the brain are together. There's the kidney and there's the pancreas and there's the liver and there's every organ and every limb and every cell of it. Everyone has something to contribute. And if one was missing, it affects the entire organism. The whole world is one super organism. Hashem Echad, it's oneness. It's all oneness. And everything comes from one source. And that oneness is manifested, flowing through 7.7 billion people and billions of mammals and billions of fish and and birds and uh, shrubs and bushes and reptiles and rodents. But it's really oneness. So there's no perfection in one separate person. You're half and I'm half. Together we make one shekel. As he puts it here, everybody understands that it's all from one. It's makol me'ashem yizbarach. So there's no perfection in me. I need you, you need me. Everyone has a piece. Nobody has everything. There's a certain truth that every single person has that is unique to them and that the world needs from them. But nobody has the whole. But when you give yours and I give mine, together we recreate the entire artistic oneness of the world. That's Hashem Echad. And he says, and there's a reason for this, that we all have something for the other person. 
we all need each other. She, he says the words we, we learned before, She avinu kulam If perfection was with one person and there was absolutely no give and take, it can immediately breed narcissism, selfishness. So when you look at the system, you have to admit that there's nothing can survive without give and without take. I'm a mashpia and I'm also a makabah. And the way Hashem did it is, He didn't want there should be kina b'maiseberashis. Kina b'maiseberashis means there shouldn't be jealousy in the system of creation. So the system is that there's nothing that is only a receiver. Everything receives but also gives. There's no such a thing, I'm only a makabal or I'm only a mashpia. I give and I also take. Whether it's one area or another area, whether it's physical or spiritual, or financial or emotional, or cerebral or psychological, or practical or abstract, every single force, every single, even an insect and a rodent, is a mashpia and it's also a makabal. Everyone contributes something. Everything contributes something. And in that sense, this one is the one who gives. This one is the leader. Famous Medrash, this week's parasha says, I'm sorry, more than the, than the benefactor does for the poor person, the poor person does for the benefactor. In other words, it's not just I'm giving you and you're taking from me. I'm giving you and in that process you're giving me often much more. Maybe you're giving me the opportunity to give. You're giving me the opportunity to be able to learn who I am. You're giving me the opportunity to learn tremendous things from you. You're giving me the opportunity to grow. You're giving me the opportunity to deal with my own stuff that I have to deal with. And therefore, Ezo Chachem, Aloy made, Mikol Adam. From every person there is what to learn. If I say, from this person there's nothing to learn, it's not that that person doesn't have what to give. It's that I'm blocked. My vision is eclipsed. I don't have that openness to be able to really see what is inside of you. Every single person is inspiring. (laughs) There's no such a thing, a person who's uninspiring. The person may not know it. (laughs) But that's all because of my own self, bad bad, bad image. But a person who's uninspiring is a paradox. Because if I say this person is uninspiring, what I'm really saying is a part of God is really, really boring. Because if you're a chelik elikami mal, you're b'tzelim elikim, what do you mean you're uninspiring? Somebody once told me, I'm a really boring person. <laughs> you're not going to find me interesting. There was a Jewish comedian who once said, I'm bored and I think I'm causing it. <laughs> but it's only because you don't know yourself. Of course, you're, you're full of inspiration. Don't call a piece of God boring. You're a piece of Hashem. How boring can you be? You just don't realize it maybe. Or maybe there's so many messages that were inculcated in some people's brains that I'm a giver and a giver and a giver and I contribute nothing. But that's antithetical to the truth because you're a manifestation of Hashem's light in this world. So there's something brilliant and amazing and incredible and inspiring about each person. I may not tune into it. So that's a lack in my chachma. Ezo chachma aloymed mikol adam. Every child, every adult... Every man, every woman, every person, every other, we call other, no difference. Why? Because there's something, there's a light that you have to give to the entire universe that nobody before you and nobody after you will ever be able to give this light. And that's your unique imprint of Hashem where I need you because I need Hashem. And the only way I can have Hashem is I have you and you have Hashem because you have me. And together, 
we can have everything. If it would all be by me, then I could become detached from the ultimate source. So according to all of this, it now comes back together. Now you see the imach. Now you understand the imach. So the Pasuk is saying, If my brother is suffering from destitution, his hand is faltering. You just said in benching, God feeds the whole world. So what, now we're contradicting ourselves? There are people who are poor. The answer is no, God feeds the whole world. And part of his food is by me. Just like part of my food is by him or by her. It's imach, it's with you. This person's resources, there's something within me. If I see somebody struggling with something, as he said, it could be finances, it could be wisdom. Not necessarily a physical struggle, it would be an emotional struggle, a spiritual struggle. I have to know that at this moment, I have something in me that I can give the person. So now I have a choice. Will I become an ambassador of love, of light, of hope, of healing, of redemptiveness, of wisdom for this person? Or I lock myself up and I said, I have my own sadness, I have my own mental space, I have my own issues, I'll deal with my own mental space, I can't give. But part of what's in me is yours because we're deeply connected, we're deeply integrated. So an essential part of life is my ability, my opportunity, and my privilege to share, to give, to inspire somebody else. So he says, when you see somebody is missing something, imach. You have something inside of you. It could be one word. It could be a warm word. It could be a smile. So I don't have time to smile. I'm stressed out. <laughs> it may not even be consciously. But that smile is what this person needs in order to be able to give them a little more life today. That hug, that compliment, that reassurance, that positive statement may be that which this person needs in order to be able to find their own flow, their energy. So the Zanas Ha'olam Kule right now, it's stored in me and it's waiting for me to be able to give it to this person. But for me to be able to do it, I have to be in an open space. If I'm in a stingy space, so if I have something, I just want to keep it tight. I don't want to share. So it's not just I don't share it with the other. Also part of me gets affected because I'm taking myself out from the unifying system of give and take. In other words, by giving you the energy, the energy becomes alive. I'm also part of the flow. But when I say, no, this is not for you, sorry, then what do I do? I disassociate myself from the flow, from the zanah sa'olam kula. So when I bench, I have to realize that this flow is a sa'olam kula. The whole world is part of it. And I have an indispensable part in that. There's a Jew I know, his name is David Lukens. David Lukens, he worked for uh, Senator uh, Moynihan for many years. He's a pol- Jewish political activist, a religious Jew. And I once heard this story from him. Very inspiring story. You know, the first black African-American co- member of Congress of the United States of America was a woman named Shirley Chisholm. She became a member of Congress in 1968. Remember, 1968 is a very short time after the civil rights movement took root in the United States. <coughs> short time after uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated because of his fights, fights for civil rights. 
So Shirley Chisholm was elected in 1968 to represent New York's 12th district. And she lived in Brooklyn. She lived in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. Not everybody in the South liked that a black and a black woman was now a member of the United States Congress. So in Yiddish it's called Matuntegestalt Fislach, which means some senior members of Congress really obstructed her path to success. Shirley Chisholm, who died in 2005, was a very energetic woman, very charismatic, and she had a big vision you know, to reform the United States of America through legislation in Congress. But certain members of the Senate assured that her path to success would be extremely slow. What did they do? They assigned Shirley Chisholm to the Agricultural Committee. Now, how much agricultural produce happens in Borough Park, Crown Heights, Williamsburg, and Queens, right? How much of the agricultural output of America happens between 13th Avenue and 14th Avenue? Farms have not been there for a very long time. Yeah. You can go to other states. So they put her living in Crown Heights as part of the agricultural committee. So what is she supposed to do? Bring in some chickens and Kamela Munsi. They thought that in that area she would have very, very little influence. She was a congresswoman from 1968 to 1983. In 1983, she retired. When she retired, they made a party, a goodbye party. David Lukens was at this party because he knew her. And I heard from him the story. She got up. And she shared those moments in 68 when she was so frustrated. She felt it was basically what they call race politics and Southerners who did not like her. And they wanted to really undermine her and crush her. And uh, because she was in this agricultural committee and not much was going on, they started to question her ability to influence the legislative agenda and to have any significant impact in New York. And she was very, very angry, frustrated, depressed, with the, depressed, and simply annoyed with the system. And apparently the House leadership was not very attentive to her cries. So here she was, and she felt, you know, she made it, and yet she was completely stuck. This she's sharing at her goodbye party in 1983, this African-American woman. And she says, one day... She gets a call from a man, and he introduces himself as a secretary of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who lived in Crown Heights, New York's 12th district. This is 1968. And she knew who he was. You know, she lived in Crown Heights, and she once met him a few years ago to ask him for his endorsement, but he didn't give an endorsement. He wouldn't give political endorsements to this one or that one. But, he was, you know, they met, and he blessed her. So she knew who he was, and she says, why does he want to see me? I don't know. He asked if you could come to his office and see him. She said, fine. So this black congresswoman comes to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 68, a short time after she was elected and after this whole, all these political maneuvers that really annoyed her uh, happened. And she says, I come into the office, and the Rebbe looks at me and says... 
I know that you're very upset, aren't you? She said, absolutely, absolutely, I'm extremely upset. I'm insulted. I feel denigrated. They defame me for no reason. I'm a good person. I want to help America. I want to help the Congress. So the Rebbe said, why are you so upset? She said, the southern politicians and the House leadership appointed me to become part of the Agricultural Committee. What am I supposed to do with that? Start distributing carrots to donkeys? In this Bronx Zoo? What am I supposed to do with the Agricultural Committee? So she said, the Rebbe looked at me and said, Wow, what a blessing and opportunity God has given you. You were placed in a position by divine providence where you can do something about food supplies. And I want to share something with you. This country has so much surplus food. Do the research and you will find out how much surplus food there is in this country. This country also has a lot of people who go hungry. Why don't you make a shidduch? He didn't use the word shidduch. Why don't you make a match between these two? You can use the gift that God has given you to feed hungry people. Now find a creative way to do it. And you'll help two groups. You'll help the farmers who are throwing away so much food. And you'll help the hungry people. This is not something to be upset about. This is something to celebrate. She begins her tenure, her service... On her first day in Washington, D.C., she meets U.S. Senator Bob Dole. You remember Bob Dole from Kansas? He was a farm state politician. Later, he was a Senate majority leader, presidential candidate. And they get into a conversation. And Bob Dole tells her, you know, I have a problem. What's your problem? He says... Midwestern farmers have a crisis. And I feel it's my responsibility to help these farmers because they're losing money on their crops. She says, what's going on? So Bob Dole explains to her that Americans started to purchase produce from Cuba and therefore a lot of imports are coming from Cuba. The farmers have a tremendous amount of surplus. It affects their parnosa, their economic state because they're not making the money that they need. All this food is going to waste. The farmers have all this extra food. We don't know what to do with it. And she says this. She says, and suddenly I remember the rabbi. And I look at him and I say, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to start a program where hungry people get food. And of course, we all know this. It's called food stamps. (laughs) And a program that was just in its infancy, she developed, she expanded the National Food Stamp Program, and it allowed poor Americans to buy, till this very day, subsidized food. And then in 1973, the Agriculture Protection Act... The Agriculture Customer Protection Act mandated that food stamps 
be made available in every single jurisdiction in the United States of America. This was because of Shirley Chisholm. And then she created the famous program called the WIC program. Women, infants, and children. And basically, they wanted that all high-risk pregnant women and their infants and their children, who often went starving and didn't get the food and the nutrients and the nutrition they needed, should be able to get all the food they need. And basically, Shirley Chisholm in the House and Bob Dole in the Senate, the person she met that first day, They championed the idea and they got Congress to approve a pilot project that would be be administered by the United States Department of Agriculture. It wasn't easy. There was a lawsuit and they didn't want to do it. There was this opposition and that opposition. But basically, she fought and over the next few years, she was completely successful. I think today, maybe close to... uh, 10 million people receive WIC benefits every month, according to the U.S. government, and that's beside the food stamp program. So David Lukens tells me, he says, she gets up at the goodbye party, and she tells this whole story. And he said, these were her words. She said, my career became a success story. Till today, people thank me for the food stamps, for the WIC program. But I want you to know, I owe the credit for this because there was a rabbi who was an optimist and he taught me that what you may think is a challenge and what you may think destroyed your life and what you may think was done to you as revenge to get you, if you can change your perspective, you'll see it was a divine gift. And then she concluded her words, I quote, and if poor babies, if poor babies have milk, and poor children have food, it's because this rabbi in Crown Heights had vision. That's how she concluded her words. So here you have a classic example of this truth that the Sfasemis, that the Gary Rebbe, the third Gary Rebbe encapsulates here. That when we bench and we say, I guess when the Rebbe was benching, he took those words very seriously. I'm not thanking for my meal. That too. I'm thanking for a grander meal. I'm thanking for the meal that the whole world shares. And that each and every one of us has in store not only our own meal, but also that money or that food or that wisdom or that humor or that love or that compassion or that empathy for somebody else. And that's what I'm thankful for because it's part of me. And it's part of you. And then when I live with that consciousness, as the Svasema says, Ein dover, there's nothing missing. So when I see this Jew faltering, whatever that faltering means, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, he says, it's imach, it's with you, it's inside of you, it wasn't a mistake. There's something I can do to give chizuk. There's something I can do to hold on to this person, to say chazak, chazak, veniz chazak, to strengthen the person, to reassure the person to give confidence to the person, even to smile to the person, to say something nice, kind, warm, loving, benevolent to the person. There's something so that now it's the second so that life force that was in you actually travels to this person, that's the second that which was in me in potentiality is now actually accessed 
and it's given to that person that v'chei, he lives from that imach, with you, from that which was with you, which you, in your courage and confidence and love, fulfilled your duty, or I fulfilled my duty, and gave it to that person. And that's what the medrash means when it gives this whole maisa of the poor person and the rich person who meet. Why is that so relevant? It's relevant because if they meet, it means there's an opportunity here, there's a mission here. There's something I can teach, there's something I can give, there's something I can guide. My attitude could be, of course, here. And then, then both are elevated, both are inspired. One gets, and the other person also gets. Or the attitude, Khalila could be, I don't have time for you, I don't have interest in you. I don't have anything in me for you. It's all for me. And then what happens, it's not just the other person who loses. It's also that person himself or herself who loses. Because I'm depriving myself from that inner source of richness that I have for the other person. I myself, I'm detaching myself from the flow of energy which comes to and it's coming through me to you. And when I run away from that, I'm running away from that major part in the energy where there's a flow, where the person becomes one. I'll just finish off with a beautiful story. I heard this from a Jew. His name is Reb Herz Frankel. Reb Herz Frankel was a principal in uh, the Satmer Girls' School by Seruchel for many years in, uh, in Williamsburg. So I once heard this story from him. He knew very well the old Satmer Rav, Rabbeinu Yoyal, and he shared that once, Satmer Rav was a very, very big bald stock. He used to give a lot of tzedakah. And he said that once, this was the early 1960s or the late 50s, a Jew came to the Satmer Rebbe and he needed money for a chasen. He was making a wedding, I guess, for a son or a daughter. So he went into the Satmer Rebbe one evening and he said, would you be able maybe to help me for a wedding? So he says, Vifel Davstu, how much do you want? Do you need? He says, $500. Which in the early 1960s was much more than it's now. So the Satmer Rebbe asks him to wait for a few moments. And he goes into another room where he had the money and he brings out $400 and he gives it to this Jew. And the Jew is happy. Wow, he got $400. And he leaves. He thanks him and he leaves. He had a gabai. His name was Rabbi Yossel Ashkenazi. So the gabai asks, asks him if he can ask him a question. Yeah. He says, I don't understand. If you wanted to help the guy... You could have given him $500. If you're giving him already, give him $500. If you're not giving him, you're not giving him. What's the cheshman of giving him $400? If you could have given him another 100 wife. So he said, I'll tell you. If I would have given him 500 he would have left the house, and he would have said to himself, Ich bin azat tipish. I'm such an idiot. This guy, this man gives whatever you ask for. I should have asked him for $15,000. Ask him $500. I'm such a fool. Let me pay for this wedding. Let me pay for the next wedding. Let me already put down a down payment on a house on Rodney Street. Right? <laughs> Could have asked for 15. And he would have left the house miserable. <laughs> miserable, angry at himself. I gave him $400. Not everything he asked for. He goes home a happy man. <laughs> he goes home a happy person. I didn't only want to give him money. I wanted he should go. I'm a happy person. He's not blaming himself that he's stupid. He's a fool. He's an idiot. He got $400. He didn't get everything he asked for, but he got a very nice amount of what he asked for. When a person gives, there's giving. Then there's giving with tuning in 
to what the other person needs. There's another beautiful word from the Sar Shalom of Bells. It says in Parshas Re'eh, the Torah says that you shouldn't close your heart. Don't close off your heart. Don't close your hands. You should open your hands to another Jew. This is in Parshas Re'eh. So the first Belzer of the Sar Shalom asks, why the Torah is so repetitive? Don't close your heart. Don't close your hand. Open your hand. Could have said, don't close your heart. Open your hand. So he says, sometimes a person can actually close their heart. The Torah says, don't close your heart. So the person says, okay, I won't close my heart, but I'll close my hand. My heart is open, but my hand is closed. So the Torah says, open your hand. He says, because when you close your hand, right, when you close your fist, so all the fingers, you see, they end. There's a uniform line. They all, they, they all end. There's an identical place where they all end. You see? When you open your hand, every finger ends somewhere else. So he says, I can have an open heart, but a closed hand. I give tzedakah, but everybody gets exactly the same. So my heart is open, but my hand is closed. Because I'm not tuning into what the person needs. Open your hand. Every finger has a different destination. Every finger ends somewhere else. I always want to tune in to where the person is. To what is it that I can give this person. And every person needs something to a different degree, just like every child. There's different gifts of love, right? There's five languages of love. What is one person's love language is not another person's love language. You think you're doing so much for them, but that's your love language. It's not the other person's love language. I want to tune into what's the other person's love language. Some people don't need words of affirmation. They need quality time. Some people don't need gifts. They need acts of service. Some people, all they care is physical touch. They don't need anything else. If one person cares about one thing, this is what he does. So he says, that still my hand is closed. I give everybody the same. Pasayach tiftach means... You want to tune in to the other person's needs because that's part of imach. What's there in me is that ability to be able to share and give to this person what could truly lift them up at this moment. So that this chiyus that Hashem gives to the whole world and part of it is with me. I distribute it so that this chiyus travels around and it's hazan asylum kuler just like the other person distributes the energy that's in them so that the flow of oneness flows through the entire cosmos and the true achtos and oneness of the whole Bria is completed. Have a wonderful week. I think it's a perfect, perfect uh, example of this. Imagine a mother says, I'm just living for myself. Uh, I can't live for anybody else. No humanity. Exactly. First of all, she carries the child for nine months. And after birth, the child can't do anything without the mother. So the mother continues to develop and nurture and take care of this child in terms of nursing, in terms of raising them, in terms of taking care of them, together with her husband, hopefully. And that's the only way humanity can continue to exist and flourish. And it's not just humanity, the entire animal kingdom. Right? It's the, it's the interdependency and... And the point here is that we are all part of that. Even somebody who may not, not be a mother right now, or children may be growing up, or somebody who's male, right? Or somebody who's not a parent. The interdependency is inherent to creation. We're all part of one unit. 
It's like the arm saying, I don't know about the rest of the body. Or the leg saying, I'm self-contained. The brain saying, I'm self-contained. You could say it, but it's completely contrary to reality. Reality is that we are all together. The brain exactly. Exactly. And the nervous system provides and distributes the nerves to every single part of the body, and no, nothing is part of that out of that cloud. What does Hillel say? If I'm not for me, who will be here for me? But if I'm only for me, then what am I? Mani. The whole Ani is part of a larger Ani. I'm part of a family, and the family is part of a community, and the community is part of a larger community, and part of a city, and part of a country, and part of a planet, and part of a universe. And ultimately, all goes back to oneness. Shemechot. It's all part of one. So the moment I, you know, I uh, disrupt the system, it's not just, I'm just not recognizing reality. Reality is I receive and I want to receive, but I also give. And there's something I need to give that only I can give. There's somebody's, you know, energy. There's, so, there's something that I can give to somebody only I can give and, and the other way as well. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.